<laughs> so lately, I, I actually, I, well, I didn't exactly binge watch it. It took me three days. But I went through this 10-series uh, TV show called The World's Toughest Race. I don't know if anyone else saw it. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was, I mean, it would blow your mind. It was 11 days long. They, they would go on very little sleep, very little, and they, would, and they were in Fiji, and, and, and there were like 60-some teams. Each team had four people. If one person dropped out, the whole team had to drop out. If anything happened, they had to drop out. Only about, I think, 40 of the teams even finished the race, and, uh, and it was just grueling. I mean, unbelievable. I'd, I'd have lasted 30 minutes. That'd be about it. I'm done. Um, don't put me on your team. Um, but it was, I mean, I, I, was just, I was just amazed at what these people could do and how they got through this. But one, one theme that just kept getting hit over and over and over and over and over, because it messes with your mind. Even when your body can go on, sometimes your mind won't let you go on. You, you start talking to yourself, amen, and you're losing the argument, amen. And you're, you're saying, I, I can't do this, or this is too hard, or how long is this? And, or, you know, all these thoughts go into your head. And, 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 and sometimes even before their bodies gave out, their thinking would give out. And one, one of the themes I constantly heard throughout this, they kept saying to each other, stay focused. you got to stay focused. You got to think right. You got to support each other and stay focused on the goal. We can do this. We can get through this. It's just 11 days. We could do this. Sleep is overrated, you know? It's... And, and after the first few teams, you know, some, some of these teams were just amazing. They got through it real quick, like four, like four or five of them. But the rest of them weren't, weren't playing to win, they knew they couldn't win. But their goal was to finish. If I, you know, that's where the pride was. I mean, you know, I, I just want to say I ran this 11-day race and I finished. I finished it. I finished it. Does that remind you of 2 Timothy when Paul was nearing the end and he was in prison and he knew his days were numbered? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, and he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Ah, hallelujah. You young people, maybe that doesn't mean as much to you, but when you're old, you're like, yeah, that's my verse. <laughs> Amen. I don't know how much longer I got, but I'm going to finish this thing. Amen. I want to finish strong. Amen. I've often told you I, I love it when the sun goes down and right at the end, we kind of had one like that, like that last night, and all of a sudden all, all these beautiful colors, and it doesn't last very long, but it's, and it's just a flash of the beautiful colors, you know, and, and it's like God just says, right at the end of the day, just God just goes, ta-da, and, and then the sun goes down. That's going to be the end of my life. I just want my ta-da, and then the sun can go down. I want to finish strong. Anyone else want to finish strong? Amen. We want to finish strong. And that's what Jesus was getting into as he began to talk about the eye. When we talk about the eye, we're always talking about focus. What good is an eye if it's not focused? It has to be focused 
in order to see properly. And if you're not seeing properly, uh, 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 then, you know, it affects everything that you do and everything you say and everything around you. You know, you know, we got Paul in verse 7 saying, you know, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. But just three verses later in verse 10, watch this, but Demas has forsaken me. Now, this isn't the only time. Demas is mentioned three times in the New Testament. The other two times, he's fully involved. He's Paul's partner. He's, he's on the mission field. He's doing a great work for God. But then, how would you like this on your tombstone? But Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Something got in his head. The comforts of this life got to be more important than the mission. And this is the problem with the church today. We've all gotten too you know, so involved in everything else, sometimes we forget the mission and, and serving Christ just gets a little too hard. And it's not so much that it's hard, it's that we've got another love. We're loving something else. Wow. Come on, church. What do you want on your tombstone? He gave up. He quit. I know what's going to be on mine. I told you I was sick. That's. <laughs> Every time I get sick, I say, Gloria, maybe I should go to the hospital. She goes, you better be sick. <laughs> don't go in there and get a false report. So I just don't go. I just don't go. So I think that's what's going to be on my tombstone for sure. But, but so, 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 so. How do we stay focused? Okay, let's get into the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, let's pick up a few verses. By the way, we're going to be able, I found a way to do this. We're going to be able to finish the Sermon on the Mount next Sunday, and it's going to be a prophetic message. You don't want to miss it. It's very important because right at the end, Jesus waxes prophetic. He talks about the end times, and we're going to get into that a little bit next Sunday, and that'll be the end of our 12. I've never done a 12-week series before. And that'll wrap that up. But listen to what he says in chapter 6. He said, the lamp of the body, the lamp, the, 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 the lens, as it were, of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. You will see clearly. Can I get an amen? But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What you're seeing is not true. If, there the light, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because if you can't see the true light, what hope is there for you? Wow. We've got to be able to see promise. The eye, as it were, is the window to the soul. But if that window is dirty or tainted or the glass is uneven or discolored in some way, you cannot see the light. You cannot see the truth. And I think that's what's happening in our world today. I think people are trying to color our minds, distort our vision so that we don't see clearly. They, they want to tell us how to think. Well, I already know how to think. They, they say, you got to be woke. I'm woke already. 
It's interesting that that word uh, for that, that word bad and, and in the previous verse, if, you're, if, you're, if your eye is good, that word is a very complicated Greek word, and it actually, it actually can be translated as generous. And this is really what it's saying. It's not just bad or good. It actually, Jesus was actually describing how to have a good eye, how to have a good outlook, and how not to. He said you have to have a generous eye. Hmm. You have to have a generous eye. You have to have a certain attitude about you if you want to see clearly. It's not just what you know. It's not just how many scriptures you memorized, but how generous, how loving you are, how caring you are, how, how much has your salvation changed you. A generous eye will result in a good soul. And if we're not generous, why is that? Because we're corrupted by materialism. In other words, when we love the world more than Jesus, we become distorted, dysfunctional. Because something's wrong with our eye. Something's wrong with the device that, that draws in truth into us. That's distorted. Or you could say it's filtered. It's filtered. And some of us have a little filter, and some of us haven't changed that filter in five years. Right? On your furnace, you're supposed to change the filter. Do you ever forget, like the deacons do around here, do you ever forget? But if listen, I, I believe some of us need filter changes so that the air, so that what we see, what we breathe is straight. Let's look at some scriptures real quick, Proverbs uh, 1125 talks about this. He said, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Generosity is how you get blessed. James 1.5 talks about this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So you give to in order to receive Proverbs 25 22 right for you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you hmm. uh-huh Proverbs 23 and 6 you see the give and take there do not eat the bread of a miser nor desire his delicacies good stuff these these are the scriptures that encourage us that we need to have a generous giving heart, which in turn brings back to us. We know this is what Jesus is talking about, and probably all the time you've read that, it never occurred to you to think about that being a generous eye. But uh, look at, you know, we read verses 22 and 23, but look at Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then it gets into those other two verses, and then look at the verse after our text, verse 24. For no one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And in, sandwiched in between those two verses, it talks about your eye being clear. So if you're stingy, if you're not a giving person, if it's all about you, that creates a darkness in you. 
Wow. You can't separate what you give, and I'm not, not just talking about money, just giving of yourself. You can't separate that from your Christian walk. That's why I wonder sometimes all the tree huggers, it's just me and Jesus. Yeah. What happened to a generous heart? If you're not interacting with anybody, you're only generous to yourself. <laughs> and how many know that ain't going to cut it? So then, then uh, Jesus goes, and by the way, we can go back on the Sermon on Mount, Matthew 5, 16. We've already preached this. Remember this verse? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So on the one hand, he says, you know, do everything in secret. Yeah, that's, that's, you got to do it. Uh, you know, that if, if that's what you have to do, do it. But he also wants people to see your good works at the same time. If you do it with the right attitude. Why? Because if you're doing it with the right attitude, they're giving glory to God for it. As long as people are giving glory to God. That's why sometimes people say, oh, great message, and, and Pastor. And, and I don't hear that every week. But great message, Pastor. Um, and I just want to go like that. Because it's, it's about him. If, if he's not getting the glory. Now, now don't stop complimenting me. I, I need it. <laughs> I need the encouragement. Believe me, I won't get the big head. I'm, I'm, I, there's solutions to that. Amen. Uh, I, I, you know, that's okay. As long as we both understand that this is what he did. And we're, we're just trying to be obedient servants. Can I get an amen? Amen. So let's go into chapter 7, the final ch chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 1. And Jesus, again, talks about the eye, okay? He says, judge not that you be not judged. Every person on the planet knows that verse. You hear it everywhere. Every time you try to preach to someone, it's judge not. Judge not, lest you be judged. They all know that verse. They may not know any, uh, they don't even know Jesus wept, but they know that one. And they're going to use that on you as a way of shutting you out so, they, they, so that they don't feel conviction. But what is this verse really saying? Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. You follow Jesus' saying there. Whatever standard you have, and those of you that have high standards, whoa. You better be up to those standards because you're going to be judged by those standards. So if you hold everyone else, you know, well, you know, you just don't let them get, about, get away with anything. You better make sure you're not trying to get away with anything. And I, I've been pastoring long enough, and this isn't always true, but a lot of times the person that seems to be the most condemning is often hiding something. And so often we like to judge things that secretly are in us. Lost, lost it there. Uh, and with the measure you use, see, how, how strict are you? It will be measured back to you. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Verse uh, 3, 
and, and why do you look at the speck, here we go, in your brother's eye? And by that word speck means like a, like a piece of sawdust. I mean, so small you could feel it, maybe can't even see it. How many know sometimes you can't even see what's in your eye, but you know something's in there? The, the, the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank. <laughs> I mean, oh, Jesus is still, remember I've been preaching this, he's kind of prone to exaggeration. I mean, it's kind of hard to get a plank in your eye, but I think he's trying to make a good point here. I mean, whatever's in your eye is totally blinding you. And, and yet you're going to pull out the speck in someone else's eye. You know, it should occur to you, first of all, it's not just hypocritical. How do you do it? If you can't see because of a plank, I don't, I don't want a blind man poking around in my eyeball. You're going to poke in my eye, you better have 20-20 vision. Hello? So, so he said, Jesus said, let me remove, uh, okay, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank, a plank is in your eye. Wow. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Come on, Jesus, preach. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying that we can't help each other to remove things. He's saying don't try to remove things when you have the same thing, bigger thing, in your own life. Finally, verse 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Interesting. Interesting. Now, Jesus is not saying that we can't evaluate people. He's not saying that we should be ostrich Christians. Just put our head in the sand and just pretend everyone's fine. I believe we need to know what's going on around us. I, I, mean, I mean, in verse 6, for instance, how do you know who's the dog? And who's the pig? If you can't judge, how do you know where to preach, where to put your pearls? Are you following me? So if Jesus said that right after he said the other, I mean, obviously he's not saying just be oblivious to everybody, but he's saying you got, you've got to know who's who. Hmm. Uh, in, in, in verse, jumping down to verse 15 to 23, I don't know if I'll read all this, but he says beware of, beware of false prophets, where if you can't judge, how do you know who's false? They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. So apparently, judge not lest you be judged, just a few verses above, does not mean you can't identify some folk. 
There must be a further, deeper meaning to that judge. He said, beware of false prophets, right? They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They look good on the outside. But if you were to judge a little deeper, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Come on, church. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, second time he said it, therefore by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Oh, powerful stuff. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? We know we're living in those times. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We can be fruit inspectors. (laughs) You'll know them by their fruits, and I think we need to be. Now, 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Fruit inspector, we've got to know what spirit we're dealing with. We've got to be aware. So we do need to judge, but how do we do it properly? John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So, listen, this is the very, just a few verses away from Jesus saying, do not judge. And yet he says, judge, but judge righteously. Come on, church. We got to know the difference. It's, it's more about how you judge and why you judge. Can I get an amen? So, so some people have have the why or the how all wrong. Uh, you ever meet someone who's just critical of everything? I heard, heard this story about a young man. He brought his girlfriend home to meet the parents. And, and the wife, the mother, absolutely hated her. Just treated her badly, said all, just, oh, so he dumped her. He found another girl, brought her home, mother-in-law, mother, same thing. Couldn't stand her. Didn't want anything to do with her. He brought like four or five girls home. Then his mother didn't like any of them. I think she just didn't want him to get married. Hello, mama's boy. I don't know what it was, but he says, oh. so he went out and he finally found a girl who was just like his mother. She walked like her, had the same temperament, same opinionated. I mean, she, she was exactly like her mother, brought her home, and guess what? Her mother loved her. But her father, his father hated her. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Sometimes you can't win for losing. Uh, <laughs> he hated her. 
<laughs> He's like, son, don't make the same mistake I made. Uh, <laughs> Some people are just critical. It's just, it just seems to be their, their nature. And I think Jesus is saying to them, judge not. Some people think finding faults is a spiritual gift. There's only nine. Read them. The tenth one is not fault finding. Come on, church. The question is, do you look for faults in people or do you look for their strengths? we got to know what their weaknesses are for the purpose of helping them overcome those things. And, and, be, and we need to know their strengths so we know what they can do. So, I, you know, I, 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 I like to look at people's strengths. I'm not blind to their faults, but I believe, my God, if God made them and called them and equipped them for something awesome, and I know maybe a fault's holding them back, but let's get them through that, and let's get them on the road to destiny. Let's not just stand back and say, well, they'll never make it. Come on, church, amen, if you know what I'm saying. We, you don't overlook the fault, but you help them get over the fault. I, I love these armchair prophets who come to you after the fact and say, oh, I knew it all along. Yeah, were you prophesying to your mattress or what? I mean, I, where were you when we needed you? Some of us, you know, some people, they just, they just know everyone's faults. Well, good for you. I don't know. I think it's easier to find faults than it is to find strengths. And finding strengths is a spiritual gift. Some people are sheep and some are goats. Sheep are wonderful. You, you can, you, right, you cut that wool off and you can warm yourself and it's just all kinds of uses for that. I mean, I mean, I mean wool has clothed the world. And then there's goats. And they're only good for milking and that's what we do, just milk them. Can't, it didn't say get rid of the goats. You know, you can tell a goat because he, everything he says starts with the word but. <laughs> yeah, you'll get it later. They're opposed to everything. They're critical of everything. But, but, bleh, bleh, bleh. give me a sheep any day. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you know, some people just have the wrong motives. Sometimes they're accusing someone else to excuse their own behavior. Uh, just a quick illustration. Remember, remember when David took Bathsheba? I remember Nathan the prophet comes into the throne room and he says, he said, uh, King, there's this guy. He's got all the sheep he could ever want. And he went and took this, and this other guy, his, his neighbor, had one lamb. And he took that lamb. David was like, rrr, rrr, who is that man? We need, to, you know, we need to do something about that guy. What kind of man would stay? He's got all the sheep that he would ever want, and he takes that one's man, and, and Nathan looks at him and says, thou art the man. He took that man's only beautiful wife. And David could have had, as you know, back then you can have a lot of wives. I don't know the wisdom of that anyway, but 
I, most, most husbands would agree one is enough to handle. Amen. Oh, Lord, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so how do we judge righteously? Oh, I better hurry up. How do we judge righteously? Three things. Number one, realize, first of all, if, if you're judging, remember this. It's a delicate thing to do. It's a delicate thing to do. Did you ever try to get something out of somebody's eye? And as soon as you try to, what's the first thing they do? They close their eye. The eye is just natural. I, I think that's true. Anytime you try to correct somebody. Why? Because that's a sensitive area. It still has to come out, though. But it's sensitive. And like I said before, how can you even do it if you can't see yourself? Number two, realize that we will all answer to God, that they will answer to God. I like Romans chapter 14 talks about this, verse 1. Um, Paul talks about this. Uh, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. He's talking about, you know, food that Jews aren't supposed to eat. And let not, I mean, that's what the early church fought about, (laughs) your diet. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has created, has received him. God has received him. Next verse. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or fall. Indeed, he will stand. In other words, he's God's servant, not yours. We're all his servant. So be careful how you treat his servants. We, we all work for God. You don't work for me. You work for him. So we need to be careful how we treat each other because in reality, I know there's a hierarchy and spiritual authority and all that stuff, but ultimately, you know what? We answer to God. We answer. These people say, well, it's none of your business. God sees the heart. And I'm always saying, yeah, he does. (laughs) That doesn't get you off the hook because he does see it. Amen. Skip down to the third one. Realize that we will be judged by the same standard. Matthew 7, 2, as we talked about before. You know, perhaps the love chapter sums it up best. 1 Corinthians 13, if the worship team would come up. Verse, verse uh, chapter 13, verse 6, 7. We're talking about love, right? It does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the attitude. That's where we need to be. That's what we need to do. We need to judge righteously, righteously. If your motive is impure, you're judging those people. And if you just have one of those personalities, you just kind of need to rein that in a little bit. I, I, I believe people that are critical are actually valuable to the body of Christ because they see things maybe that others of us don't see. But you have to be careful of your critical attitude that if you're just criticizing for the sake of criticizing or you're criticizing to make yourself feel better, your motives are wrong. 
And you're going to get in trouble, and you're going to cause trouble. Amen.